Welcome into College Football Overtime. My name is Garrett Chapman, and I'm joined, of course, like every week, by Abe Gordon. And Abe, we got a lot to discuss because week seven was a doozy. Our list of undefeated teams shrunk by two as we have crossed the midpoint of the season while there are a bunch of still questions that are still out there. Um, some things are really starting to figure themselves out, like the Big Ten. Like We know it's going to be a heavyweight bout yeah. at the top. And really only at the top, the Big 12 is just Oklahoma and Texas after the rest of the conference just continues to beat itself up. Look no further than what Kansas and Oklahoma State just had happen. Uh, the SEC is just Georgia and Alabama, or so we think more on that next week. And the Pac-12 is getting tighter and tighter at the top. And Abe, I think that's just really where we need to start because Washington and Oregon, I know the term instant classic is thrown around a lot. But this was an instant classic. We had six lead changes in this game. 19 of 21 drives offered the offense a chance to take the lead. And then it all comes down to a field goal. I know I'm praying for this. I know most football fans are probably praying for something similar. But we need to see this as a rematch of the Pac-12 title game, right? Yeah, you know, I didn't think this would be my biggest takeaway from this Washington-Oregon game. You know, whoever won, I thought they'd take their place, blah, blah, blah. I think these teams have shown themselves to be separate of the other teams in the Pac-12, the UCLA's, Utah's, Oregon State, Washington State, and even USC. I, I think we've seen, uh, maybe you feel differently, but I think it, it feels like there's a clear divide between these two teams. These two teams were very evenly matched. Uh, you could question a couple of coaching decisions. I certainly do. That may have impacted this game. Um, but look, you're at home. You won by three points. That's your three-point spread that Vegas yep. always gives you. I mean, these are two very evenly matched teams. Uh, we got the game we were hoping for, and, and like you're alluding to, kind of hope to see it again, man. I really do. Yeah, Michael Penix in this game throws for 300 yards. Four touchdowns. He's thrown for 300 yards in every game, every game this season. I know you're going to talk about the Heisman Trophy. I'll let you talk about the Heisman Trophy because we had a lot of risers and fallers this week, and we'll get into <laughs> that here in a little bit. But, look, he's the sixth Washington quarterback to throw for 50 touchdowns. Roma Dunze was masterful in this game. Eight passes that he caught, 128 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, we talk about our one-week wonders on, on Saturday mornings on college football game time. And you could probably point to a number of different players in this game. I, I mean, I was looking at Bo Nix. He's the guy who lost this game. But you could say he was a one-week wonder because of the way he played just in that second half. 20-24, 221 yards just in that second half. But I feel like at the end of the day, Dan Lanning kind of let us down. Um, I think he let Oregon down just in general. I mean, I appreciate aggressiveness. Uh, I mean, we, talk, we saw Arthur Smith on Sunday when the Atlanta Falcons go for two for some reason. So, and sometimes aggressiveness is nice. Sometimes it's like Arthur Smith going for two. Uh, I, I feel like Dan Lanning was the latter. Uh, he goes for it on fourth down three separate occasions. He doesn't go for the end zone on their final drive of the game. There are a lot of questionable coaching decisions. Uh, do you lay this at the feet of Dan Lanning? I think his kids played well enough to win this game and to deserve the victory. And, and look, if you kick a field goal before half, the second half plays out differently, right? Sure. So uh, you know, we're obviously going to pick and choose when we say, oh, he should have kicked this, and you add those three, and now we're going over. I mean, I, I get that. So, you know, Washington had one of those uh, where you kind of try and go back and think, was it the right call? Oregon had three of them, and, and, and you pinpoint which ones you think 
were the right you know i don't mind going for it and failing you're just trying to gauge the risk reward of the gamble i'm on the other side from a lot of people i actually understand going for it right before halftime that i understood you know you're getting the ball but a lot of people pinpointed that is the one that was confusing to them look you know you're getting the ball back on the other side of the half i don't mind uh you know that one it was the second one where you you were a little further away it, it felt like a long distance to cover uh and, and that was the one to me I, I thought maybe they should kick it was that second one and then mm-hmm. you get stuck with the third one and uh i agree i thought you had time to maybe uh uh play a little smarter use the first down center of the field uh you did have one time out there at, on that final drive i, I thought going for uh, the end zone a couple of times would have made sense as well. I, I would like to have seen that. I think there was maybe 29 or 30 seconds w- when I felt they were in position to strike a couple of times and felt like they let that run dry. And this one is on Dan Lanning, un- unfortunately. Yeah. Um, look, it, it, you know, you're going to blame a kicker, right? I, I mean, you put your team in position to send this thing to overtime and that didn't happen. If you You have to lay a little bit of blame there. Um, but, but that's going to happen. That's why you don't rely on college kickers if you can avoid it. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was a tough go for Oregon for, for those kids to lose this game because they did play well enough to win it. Uh, I mean, we've seen situations and I I was actually very impressed by them, impressed by Washington. I'm certainly not trying to take away their victory by by pointing fingers at, at Oregon but uh Oregon and Washington I, I think both leave this game uh trending upwards I, I I think we believe now at least I do both of these teams situation if it works out could find themselves in the college football playoffs and I, I tend to believe based on what we've seen or haven't seen from other teams around the country I feel like both of these teams could make the playoffs and compete for a title. I didn't know if I would feel that way when we left. I didn't know if I'd feel both of them were championship worthy, if neither of them or only the winner. Uh, But I do leave this game. Congrats to Washington feeling that both Washington and Oregon, if the situation plays itself out, could both compete for a title. Yeah. And, uh, and honestly, we're going to find out a lot about these teams and the PAC 12 just in general, because I know you're, you're, you're right. You're talking about the college football playoff. I'm just looking at the Pac-12. You know, just, just a race to be in the Pac-12 title yeah, game. I, I feel like there's a divide. Right. I really do. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I, and I know we'll get to a couple of it sure. later. I mean, Oregon State didn't look great. Washington State got obliterated. UCLA, Utah are just kind of meandering without much of an offense. Yeah. Um, and, and USC, we'll, we'll talk about them in a second. I just feel like after this week, more than any other week, it felt finally – like there's a clear divide in the Pac-12, and you've got those two teams up top, Washington obviously with the edge now on Oregon based on what happened. But I, I'll be honest, I would not. You know, you know, we talked about this on College Football Game Time Saturdays at 8 a.m. It's going to be tough for either of these teams. The the final five games for Oregon, the final four games for Washington. I'm not so sure. I kind of do expect them to be quality enough to run those gamuts at this point. I think there is a divide between what Oregon and Washington can do and what the rest of the conference is capable of. Yeah, and, and I think we're going to find out a lot down the stretch because a lot of these top teams are now playing each other. Yeah, uh, That's one of the things I love about the Pac-12 in particular uh, that's certainly unique across college football. It's that in the Big 12 is all of the teams playing each other. You yeah. know, it's like just based purely off of numbers, based purely off of the fact that there are no conferences 
or excuse me, divisions. You don't have a situation like in the ACC where you have three teams go undefeated all the and way through. That's, uh, and that's a weird situation. <laughs> yeah. It's a very weird situation. Well, not anymore. But The beautiful thing – well, not anymore. We'll get into that here <laughs> in just a little bit, I'm sure. But uh, the beautiful thing about this right now, USC is still at, at the top of the Pac-12 standings right now. They're 4-0 in the Pac-12. I know we, we, we're going to get into them here in just a minute, but it's going to be very interesting down the stretch because – Oregon and Washington still have four ranked opponents on that schedule. And, and I know you and you and John Fricky talked specifically about this, that the PAC 12 is going to end up beating itself up to the point that they might miss out on the playoffs entirely. And I think that that would be a shame for the sport just in general, because I think they're the best conference in football right now. Uh, I, I think it's really hard to argue against that, especially after what we saw with Washington and Oregon. And, and maybe our opinions might change next week when Penn state and Ohio state line up across from each other and, the Big Ten at the very top is, like I mentioned, it is a, it's going to be a, a, a heavyweight bout at the top. And, and that's kind of how the Pac-12 feels right now. It just feels like it's a little bit deeper. Um, but let's move on to the other team. Oh, excuse me, not that one. We're going to move to this other team. Oh, I was excited um, to talk about that one, too, though. We'll get to it. We'll get to that <laughs> one, too, here in just a minute because I have a lot of thoughts on that one. Yeah. But in the meantime, let's get into Notre Dame just obliterating USC. That was one of my picks, and I'm very happy with that pick. Um, Notre Dame really looked good. They they were a the more physical football team, and I think that really showed. I, I, Audrey Estime, we have been begging him to show up in these moments because Notre Dame plays their best football when Audrey Estime is playing his best football. He finishes the day just a hair under 100 yards, but does have two touchdowns. Sam Hartman, quarterback, he gets two touchdowns, doesn't really play a lot, but I think that's burying the lead uh, because this Notre Dame defense was special. They forced five turnovers, three interceptions for Caleb Williams in the first half, and it felt like this was over at halftime. Where was this team against Duke? And certainly, where was this team against Louisville? Because what we saw Saturday against USC is not the same team that we saw the previous two weeks for Notre Dame. We had talked about it. They played great in the trenches against Ohio State. They came up one play short. They did not look good in the trenches against Duke. They looked even worse in the trenches against Louisville. Now you look at this game, and they're right back to what we kind of thought they would be. Lean heavily on that run game, as you suggested they would uh, on Saturday morning. And and Ride Estime and, and Sam Hartman will make the plays you need them to. But uh, they dominated this on both sides of the ball. And, and more impressively, I think, because I think we all felt with USC's issues on defense, Notre Dame could score, and, and they did. Um, but but probably more impressively was how they were able to limit Caleb Williams uh, in that USC offense. This was offense that said maybe they can just outscore everyone and drop 50 points a game. And if, if it's it's an LSU situation, not this week, obviously, but if it's an LSU situation where it's 53-51, you're still two points in the clear and that's all you need. Uh, but that was not the case. Uh, Caleb Williams was um, under a lot of pressure. And he did not rise above it. And I'm not going to, you can't solely blame that on him. Uh, but it is not the type of performance that you expect from a guy who, one, is the defending Heisman, but two, is uh, towards the top of those discussions this year as well. Uh, he did wilt under the pressure a little bit and very, very impressive from Notre Dame. And it just leaves me wondering and asking more questions as to where was this against Louisville? Because uh, that was not the same team out there Saturday night. I think this looks like a team that was uh, coming home after a two-week stint on the road. 
I, I disagree with your sentiment that this isn't the team that, that we saw against Ohio State. This wasn't the team that we saw. Oh, it's the team we saw against Ohio State. It's not the team we saw against Duke. team that we saw against Duke. So yeah. let's not let's not undersell what Duke was in that football game and is right now in college football. Like Duke is a very good football team. They're a very physical football team. I think a lot of people were surprised with what we saw from Louisville last week mm-hmm. against Notre Dame. Um, but this is just a, a game of runs. I think that was just a tired, yeah. mentally fatigued football team last week. And I think they got some energy coming back into uh, in South Bend with a little touchdown Jesus action up there uh, in South Bend, Indiana. But look, let's let's give them their flowers, man. I mean, Xavier Watts, what an incredible game. I know we're going to get to him probably in one week wonders because he was one of the biggest things in this game. He has two interceptions. He's had a fumble return for a touchdown and forced his own fumble, mind you. I mean, the dude was a wrecking machine in this game. And you as a unit, if you had told me that Notre Dame only got 13 first downs, I would have told you they lost this football game against the high-powered USC offense. No. like That's that's the craziest thing about this. They were 30% on third down. Three of 10. That's what happens when you have five turnovers. It, yeah. it, it, should, it was just an obliteration uh, of the USC offense. And I think this is what it comes down to. It's just the trenches. It comes down to the trenches. And, and USC, and I know we're going to get, we're probably going to do a really deep dive on USC on, on Saturday, but they have had this issue. This is a Lincoln Riley issue going back to his time at Oklahoma. He is not effective at recruiting the trenches. And it was a glaring issue on Saturday. Notre Dame was just far more physical. They didn't have to account for a bunch of yardage. It didn't matter that they were 30% on third down. It didn't matter that they only had 13 first downs. I mean, it wasn't like USC had a bunch of penalties. They had nine for 75 yards in this game. Like, it wasn't that. They just got bullied. And and the more physical team, the more physical football team won this game. And they just showed it on Saturday. And, and USC... I worry for these guys down the stretch because now they have to face Utah next week and a team that is, again, a very physical football team. Then you have Cal, which is a sneaky good team, which they didn't look great last week, but they've looked good at times this season. Then you have Washington. Then you have Oregon. Then you have UCLA, another very physical football team. Well, it's one thing if they lost lost 48-44, you can – write some of those off but the fact that they were only able to muster 20 to your point it does not lead me to believe that when push comes to shove they're just going to be able to just randomly outscore the teams that you ran through Uh, putting up 20 for for a team that we thought was one of the five best offenses maybe in college football is is real troubling and and to your point does not lead you towards a lot of confidence that they're going to pull a a string of upsets based on their future schedule no and and this is I have a lot of concerns for USC just in general. Uh, I mean, is this an eight-win football team? Is it a seven-win football team? I want to see how they react. I mean, you have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, and and you have these this many issues. I mean, I, I think maybe this is a one a one week anomaly. I mean, we are dealing with college kids, and this is one of those things that happens in this sport. They can come out next week and, and drop fifty points on Utah, mm-hmm. and right. and then all all of a sudden they're right back at the top of the college football world. They're still five and zero in conference play, and that's. But that's the biggest thing for, for USC, if, if you're the yeah. Trojans. And this is the thing you're taking away. This is a good Notre Dame football team that you lost to. It's a non-conference game. It's not. This isn't the same as losing to Utah. This isn't the same as losing to Washington or, or Oregon or whatever. They are undefeated in conference play. They are first place in the Pac-12. It doesn't matter right. what your overall record is. 
if you were undefeated in conference play, you're going to go play in a Pac-12 title game. So they control everything. They have a difficult schedule down the stretch. But look, they control everything that they need to control. Let me say one last thing real quick. just on uh, Marcus Freeman, I hate to harp on this, but every time I watch a Notre Dame game, I lose more and more faith in his ability in game as a coach. It just I, I find myself having to to question decisions. This time it was at the end of the half. They didn't get a field goal off. Stuff like that. I know it didn't ultimately matter in this game. Too often uh, I watch a Notre Dame game and, and I try and figure out what Marcus Freeman is thinking. He's not a good game day coach, and, and that's troubling for hmm. the future. It's just it's been a problem uh to the point where i actually tweeted about it yesterday i mean that that's how bad it got uh he, he's got to clean up his own stuff because he, he feels like there are situations and i thought it obviously shown brightest in that ohio state loss i feel like he's going to cost his kids a game here here or there <laughs> or he and, might have already cost his kids right yeah it, it, it's a little scary to watch him <laughs> on game days but uh, luckily, his team outperformed anything he could hamper uh, in this one. Yeah, and uh, Marcus Freeman will be looking to uh, continue his winning ways, I guess. This was uh, a big win for him, though. Weeks. So this was a big win. They needed this one, and uh, and I think they are. They came out. They're just the better football team. Yeah, no and uh, I think we saw that on Saturday. But another one that was very clearly the better football team, UNC, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, I, I feel like we we've talked about it on the show. We've talked about it on this podcast on college football overtime every single Monday. Tune in, join in, join in with us every single Monday. But I think people are sleeping on, on the Tar Heels. I think I was sleeping on the Tar Heels just in general. So I'm not going to say that it was everybody else. And I was on the bandwagon before the season started. I picked Miami to win this game. But I, I think after Saturday, I think we clearly have the two best teams in the ACC that have separated themselves. Louisville Falls, of course. We'll get into that later. Um, Miami looked hapless in this game. Clemson hasn't really been all that good just in general. They've almost fallen off of the brain at this point. They, they have two losses in ACC play. Riley Leonard, if he's not healthy, then I can, I'm concerned about the where Duke can be. But at the very top, you have UNC and you have Florida State. UNC showed me something on Saturday because they – bring back Tez Walker to an already very good offense. And then he all of a sudden becomes the best player on the field outside of Drake May. Drake May throws for 273 yards and four touchdowns in this game. Half of his production came from Tez Walker, a guy who's just making his second, second start of the season, second start of his career for North Carolina. He's showing exactly why he was that dude who they were very upset that didn't get eligibility from the NCAA. Six pass catches or he catches six passes, 132 yards, three touchdowns. This was an offense that was already electric, and it just took another step forward. UNC, they might be the best team in the ACC. Am I wrong? Well, look, Florida State did some impressive numbers as well. We'll get to Keon Coleman and what he was able to show a little bit later. Uh, But look, first off, let's get to the final score here. 41-31 is not what this game was about, okay? Because uh, for those who didn't see it, UNC midway through the fourth quarter was up 38-17. So so they were in cruise control. Don't get it twisted, as you were alluding to, uh, you know, without the statistics and all. This was an absolutely dominating performance by UNC. And the fact that Miami closed the gap to 10, 
uh, you know, get, good for you, I guess. But this was an impressive showing. The other aspect of this, and you talked about Drake May, you, you talked about Tez Walker, and rightfully so. But this was a balanced attack. You're dealing with 197 yards on the ground from Amarion Hampton. And, yeah. and so they got the job done both ways, which makes it even more difficult to defend. And they just look like they, I don't know what it was. And, you know, maybe we just, maybe it is as simple as just Tez Walker. And obviously, three touchdowns. He was a beast in this game. Something clicked a week ago. I don't know what it was, but something clicked a week ago for Drake May and the Miami offense against Syracuse. They put up a 40-burger there. They returned to a 40-burger here. Uh, and now let's look out, and let's see just how good this UNC offense really is. Uh, very impressive showing also against uh, a Miami offense. And, again, I know, I know they climbed back into it late in the fourth quarter points-wise, but – uh, holding that offense, that's one of the better ones in the ACC, one of the more explosive ones in the ACC with a good quarterback that people respect in Tyler Van Dyke. Holding him down to 17 points for three and a half quarters is a job well done by the defense as well. Uh, you know, this the final score did eventually reach about what I thought it would be, but it, it was slow going early on. I was very impressed by the defenses, uh, and then UNC really started to roll. And And I think you're right, based on what we saw from Louisville, and based on how, and I've been on the UNC bandwagon a little bit more, and this is one of the picks I made uh, was, was in favor of UNC, uh, even on the spread. I liked I liked them a lot. Uh, I think whenever we get to it, them and, and Florida State will decide the ACC. I think that's going to be a great game. And yeah. Part of me is glad that they're not meeting in the regular season because I just <laughs> want to see what happens in the one, the one game, you know, when you don't have home field factor into it. I guess the game's in Charlotte, so um, one team might have home field. Uh, sort of, but my Florida State tends to travel pretty well. So I don't think that one will matter, matter too much. But on the Miami side, like the, you mentioned it, this is a really good Miami football team. Like this was, this isn't just some run of the mill ACC squad, you know, like this is a team that was top 10 in the country in both offense and defense in, t- in terms of total production. And North Carolina has taken a step on defense. And I think that Mm -hmm. that has been one of the most impressive things that we've seen from them so far this season. I didn't know if that was just a product of the schedule they'd played and, or maybe they just jumped on teams or the way they did it. I wanted to see them do it against the top offense or not, at least an offense that we know was good coming into the football game. We saw what they did against uh, South Carolina and the battle of the Carolinas week one. I wanted to see what it looked like when it was two dominant teams and two dominant offenses, what is the, what does the UNC defense do in those situations? Well, they showed up in a big way. They pick off Tyler Van Dyke, like you mentioned, a, a pretty good quarterback in his own right. I'd say one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. They kind of made him look silly. They harassed him all day, um, or at least in the second half, they really put it away. But I, I want to say this too. Miami did start this game well. They started this game well. They led 17 to 14 at halftime, but honestly, the offense might as well have taken a knee for the rest of the game because their next four possessions, a fumble, an interception, a punt, and then a turnover on downs, and then it was effectively done. So maybe if Mario Cristobal did tell his offense to take a knee, they would have actually had a chance in this football game, but I guess that's a different discussion for a different time because UNC falls, and I want to see what Miami does in reaction to this game. Because when I picked Miami, I said that they were the wounded animal. That was my biggest thing. That's my big shtick, I guess. You now love it. You on love the it. show. And and I said that they were going to do one of two things. They were going to – it's the fight or flight. They were going to fight and then put in the game of their of the season 
which I thought was very likely, or they were going to just fall apart and implode. And I think they imploded in the second half of this game. Yeah, and look, their schedule's not the easiest coming up. Uh, They've got a home game, which is good for them, but it is against a Clemson team that people have kind of forgotten about, but uh, they're still dangerous. Still a good team. They get Florida State and Louisville uh, later in the season as well. So uh, Miami, uh, like you said, they're going to be pushed a a little bit to to recover there in the ACC, but uh, I tend to agree with what you said earlier that it, it it looks like it's Florida State and it looks like it's UNC. Yeah, and both those teams have some great pass rushers up front, uh, Rucker and Verse, uh, one for Florida State, one for UNC. Uh, very good quarterback play. Uh, both have electric wide receiver play uh, and underrated running games. Uh, it'll be a very interesting matchup to see how those two teams, if that is you know everyone stays healthy and stays the course and, and we get there um that's an acc championship game that's sending someone to the college football playoffs if all is um as it appears to be at this point so that that would be very exciting uh to to, just to witness and watch and, and and i mean you're always looking for like a winner take all i mean when you have it for both teams even more so yeah and i think that was just a, a great football game from UNC just in yeah. general. And, and Miami felt complete on the table. Yeah, it they felt, felt like complete. a complete football team, I think, yeah. for the first real first time really all season. But uh, one team that didn't look like a complete football team was Tennessee. I was a little surprised with the way they looked in this game. But I will say they do come out victorious. They pull away in the final, uh, just courtesy of a block, or excuse me, a punt return for a touchdown. That's the difference in this game. But the Volunteers have now won 13 consecutive home games. It's the fourth longest active streak in FBS and their longest since 2000 so very good start for the uh, Tennessee Volunteers they do have that loss against Florida which is going to put them against the wall one could say that they're in wounded animal mode for the rest of the season um I know that's my favorite term but they were kind of sluggish I I was expecting a little bit more from these guys they were coming out of a bye and they made a lot of mistakes in this game at home uh 12 penalties but Joe Milton especially was a little interesting 11 of 22, 100 yards, uh, touchdown, but he had an interception. He looked pretty bad against a, a Texas A&M defense that I thought would be a bit susceptible. I know they they lose Brew McCoy earlier in the season, and I think it's starting to show a little bit. Maybe their eyes were looking ahead to the third Saturday in October next week. Uh, but Texas A&M is also not a team that you can sleep on. But I think that the at the end of the day, what you want to do if you're Josh Eiple is you want to want you want to run the football. And I know you and I went back and forth and about mm-hmm. whether or not they were going to be able to do that. They did it very effectively on yeah. Saturday, 237 yards on the ground. I know people are going to talk about Joe Milton's performance. It wasn't a very good day for him, but that rushing attack, if, in, in games that they win, in big games that they win, they run the ball effectively. And they did that on Saturday. Yeah, Jalen Wright goes for 136 yards on just 19 carries. And, and, and I, I agreed with you on Saturday. I thought they would try and run the ball. It's just whether they would be able to uh, against what I believe is one of the better fronts in college football in Texas A&M. And to mm-hmm. your point, they were, and that's why they won this game. There's no doubt about it. I thought I would learn something about Tennessee uh, heading into this Alabama game. And I'm a little frustrated and confused because I still don't know exactly what this team is. This is a team that's what five and one now uh, uh overall or or, or yeah. whatever it is um, two and one in the ACC two the and SEC. one in the SEC their only loss is that Florida I mean look if they don't lose to Florida this is a top 12 top 11 top 10 team 
you know, that six and zero heading into a, a monster mashup with with Alabama. So uh, obviously a, a horrific showing against Florida. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what Tennessee is. And to your point, I'm still trying to figure out what Joe Milton is. Uh, I, I thought he would be a lot more dynamic this year than what he's shown to be. I wouldn't expect him to be Hendon Hooker. Okay, I think that's an unfair comparison to make. But I thought he'd be a little bit more dangerous with his arm. I thought he'd be a little bit more dangerous with his legs. Uh, and, and as you said, the numbers of very pedestrian, 100 yards, one touchdown, one interception, only ran the ball eight times, only had 34 yards rushing. Half of that coming on just one carry. Uh, look, if you're going into Alabama, that's just not going to be enough uh, uh, for Joe Milton. I, I really thought that they would be a little more electric um, on offense, and it it seemed way too often that there was just nothing going on. Uh, they were out of rhythm. A lot of what you said about Brew McCoy is right. It, it didn't feel like he has anyone to go to sometimes, maybe not someone he trusts, a reliable third down option, stuff like that. Um, but they got the job done, and, and that was uh, the moral of the story. I mean, you force mm -hmm. Max Johnson into two interceptions, and, and you know I don't care what team we talk about. You don't got to win pretty. You just got to win, uh, and Tennessee did. And so now they do set up a pretty interesting matchup against an Alabama team that is not as complete as they've been in, in recent years yeah. either. So um, not a great showing from Tennessee. They pick up the win. Uh, but doesn't mean they won't look better uh, in a week's time. Yeah, and I think next week is just going to be a matchup of two teams that we have a lot of questions about. And I know we're about to talk about Alabama here in just a second, but I want to talk about Tennessee's schedule real quick before we move to Texas A&M. Um, because next week, of course, we have the third Saturday in October. They they could travel down to to take on Alabama, battle of two top 20 teams, uh, two teams that we thought were probably going to be in the top 10 at this point. Uh I'm a little surprised at that point, but uh, that's not that's neither here nor there. Uh, but you have Alabama on the road next week. Then you're at Kentucky in a game that could or could not be a very interesting game. Uh, Kentucky didn't look very good last week, but then you have UConn at home. Then you're at Missouri, and then Georgia comes to town. So this is not an easy slate for Tennessee. It's not easy at all. And I I think that they needed a game like this. Uh, they they needed to to win ugly, and they needed to be able to do it and move on to next week, run the ball effectively and just get through, get through healthy. But I do have some serious concerns about this team just in general. Uh, I don't know if they're, they're not going to be able to run the ball this effectively against Alabama's defense. They're, they're front seven. I know you talked about Texas A&M's front seven. They were allowing 84 yards per game coming into this game on the ground. And I didn't think that that was necessarily a, an accurate thing. I, I thought well, you was a little... The sacks yeah. get taken into account, so anytime you're yeah. sacking a quarterback, you're killing rushing yards, and it can get it can get misconstrued a little bit. I think I agree it could, yeah. And so. so it's like I, I was like, I don't know if that 84 number was necessarily the most accurate representation of this defense because we saw what happened to him against Miami earlier in the season. But look, Texas A&M is it's still a pretty good team. It's a very talented team, but this is the second straight agonizing loss. Not even just a loss. The loss to Miami was a brutal beatdown. Like that was just a miserable performance from, from mm -hmm. Texas A&M just in general. But this one was the second straight truly agonizing game. Max Johnson got beat up. Uh, you just didn't get enough offense at the end of the day. And and the I, I thought the defense played well in consecutive weeks, but the offense just hasn't been there. I don't know what the missing piece is for Texas A&M right now. We talked about Bobby Petrino being a good play caller. He is a good play caller. 
You do lose Connor Wegman, your starting quarterback, but Max Johnson's been pretty good. It's just the rest of the offense. Just there, there just seems to be something missing in College Station. I don't know what it is, but they got to figure it out. I mean, they don't have unless they want to go find seventy six million dollars somewhere. Yeah, to to me, it's on the pass game. I I, I mean, with Evan Stewart and Nia Smith, they should be better, and, and they simply yeah. weren't. And, and Max Johnson, as you mentioned, this was the first game for him where he looked like he deserved to be a backup. Uh, not not trying to insult him or take anything away from him, but it is what it, it is. The previous game since Wegman had gotten hurt, it looked like there was actually a bump up in in my opinion in in what they were doing offensively. Uh, and that obviously was not the case in this one. The two turnovers, way too difficult to come back from. Uh, you, you, you get touched up on uh, special teams, as you mentioned, that led to one of Tennessee's touchdowns. That certainly doesn't help. But, yeah, yeah. look, if you want to point fingers and you can look right at the offense, they are not good enough. You brought in a guy in Bobby Petrino to make this a better offense. He has not done that. Ultimately, that still falls on Jimbo Fisher, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I, I don't care whether you name some savant or whatever offensive coordinator or not, you're the one who controls this program and you're not getting it done on that side of the ball. And, and that look, they don't have the easiest schedule either A&M. And so you can kind of see where this is heading. It's just about if you can find that money or not. Yeah. And, uh, I have, I have some pretty serious concerns if I'm Texas A&M just in general. Uh, yeah, I'm a little worried if I'm those guys, but at least you're through Alabama. The same can't be said for Tennessee because they got to take them on next week. Uh, Alabama, speaking of which, the Crimson Tide. I know we talked about all you got to do is win. At the end of the day, that's really the end. That's that's the be all end all. Like you win the game and survive and move on to next week. That's what they did. Um, the Crimson Tide improved to 161 under Nick Saban when leading by double digits entering the fourth quarter, but it got close. It was Saban's 200th win at Alabama. But again, it got close. Uh, Jalen Milrow, I think, was not very good in this game. He averaged something like 21 or 23 yards per completion, but doesn't help when you only complete 10 passes. He was sacked five times. The offensive line continues to be anemic. Uh, At one point in the second half, he completed just one of nine passes, and the Razorbacks were able to close a once 17-point deficit to three and that's where we finished Alabama is a very good football team Alabama is a very dangerous football team I think Alabama is good enough to beat anybody in the country Alabama can't beat can't can just get past beating themselves on Saturdays and uh, they have all of the pieces for the most part Jalen Milrow is it leaves something to be desired the passing attack I thought figured something out last week and it just didn't show up in consecutive weeks. And, and I don't know what was different from last week compared to this week. I understand that again, I'll say it, there are very massive variations with college kids. It's just the nature of the game that we love, but the variation from what we saw last week against Texas A&M to what we saw this week from Jalen Milrow, you're not going to be able to get past the good opponents. Like you have Tennessee coming to town. You got to figure that out. This is a home game against Arkansas. This is a much much better opponent coming into town this weekend, and I, I have so many questions. If I'm Nick Saban, 
Yeah, I, to me, the real concern for Saban is going to be the week after. Uh, look, you do got to get through Tennessee, but LSU's coming in with that high-powered offense. And uh, I disagree with a lot of what you said about Alabama, to be honest. I do not think that they can play with every team in the country. In oh, fact, I'm saying at their best. So when they're, they're at their very, very I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. I, I think they're just too limited at offense. And that boils down to, as you mentioned, Jalen Milrow. And this is a team – I mean, you talked about it. Uh, 23 yards per per completion is very high. What does that tell me? Everything has to be down the field. Uh, I mean, you look at the receivers that that caught more than one pass. You, you've got a long of 79, a long of 44, a long of 29, a long of 25. Uh, I mean, these guys have to be down the field. They're too easy to defend, in my opinion. You don't have to even defend anything in front of the first down marker. I mean, he's checking down to running backs, I guess. Sometimes he hits them, sometimes he doesn't. There is no mid-range passing game here. It is it is run your route and get downfield, and I will get it to you. I think it's too easy to defend. Too much reliance on the big pass play uh, to move the offense. And, and I just think as we continue to see that, because I, and I think this is where the A&M difference in Arkansas comes up. I think our the, against AM, that's the first time we really saw where, oh, they're just going to have Milroth like throw deep. They're, they're, there's no desire to take 12-yard slants, just none at all. And, and, and I think Arkansas recognized that, and they did their best to defend that to an extent. It, it was good, but they didn't really get it done either. Arkansas, and we talked about this Saturday, they're just not talented enough to take advantage, even knowing what Alabama is going to do. Tennessee might be LSU. I think is even with the questions on their defense. And certainly if they reach an SEC championship game, a Georgia team whose strength defensively is the secondary. I don't think we're just throwing the ball deep on Georgia and having that work out. So they are too limited to me. And until I see Jalen Milrow be able to move the ball chunk after chunk after chunk with smaller and easier throws, as opposed to just guys getting open downfield, I, I'm waiting for a team that forces him into two or three turnovers uh, and, and just, uh, you know, maybe you give up one or two big plays, but there's not five or six. I mean, he had so many big plays uh, down the field in this game. That that can't be their whole offense. And it just, it, they're, they're not running the ball well enough. Um, no one got to hundred. They ran for 177 as a team. I understand that, but you know, you're trying to figure out if McClellan is, your lead back, he had, you know, 83 yards, which is good. Uh, but, again, I just think there's going to be too many better fronts than Arkansas that are going to be able to handle them uh, in the run game. They're not quite explosive enough, and you just can't rely on throwing the ball down the field as much as they do and have success against better teams. And, and I think, ultimately, that's going to be their downfall is the limitation of Jalen Milrow. And this is nothing new, right? I mean, we were talking no. about this all season. The limitation of Jalen Milrow to make the easy throws. Uh, or, or even even the tough throws that are at a middle distance, the limitation there is going to cost Alabama at some point this season. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the things that we compared this Alabama team to, at least with path, past iterations of of Nick Saban's Alabama teams, were, were maybe those like mid two two thousand ten teams, the ones pre that Ohio State debacle where he brings in. Lane Kiffin, and all of a sudden they like to throw the ball down the field and they're a spread option, uh, offense now, not spread option, but spread offense now. The difference was those teams had dominant rushing attacks. 
They really did. And I thought that this Alabama offense, just in general coming into this season, was going to have a really good offense, at least on the ground. Because Jalen Miller is a very, very athletic. He can move his leg, move with his legs very effectively. Jace McClellan, I think, is a, a fine, not very exciting option. Uh, Roydo Williams, Justice Haynes, the, the freshman from Blessed Trinity, or I guess Buford, he transferred over to Buford his final year. They have a lot of talent in the rushing attack. Those previous iterations of Alabama always had that. They had a Yeldon, or they had a, a Trent Richardson, or a Derrick Henry, or somebody who was able to, to kind of take over the game on the ground. And I think that's one of the more glaring issues. I know we've pointed to, to Jalen Milrow. They don't have that guy, like a, a Jared Coker or something like that, or, or uh, a, a, I don't know, a, a Greg McElroy or something well, that we used to see. But he would make the good passes, and he would complete things just to keep them in rhythm and keep them in uh, their it, offense. It feels in, like in, it's in. the inverse. When you had those guys you want to call game managers, whatever, I'm not scared of that term. Sure. They were doing the exact opposite. The biggest questionnaire was, can they hit the deep ball if a guy gets yeah. open? But they're hitting those 12-yard slants. But that's it. They're and hitting it out to in, the sideline. This guy gets the inverse. They, he can't do what they were doing. Now, now they can't do what he's doing to an extent, too. No, but if I had not. to pick one or the other, give me the guy that on third and seven can fit a ball into a tight window for a 10-yard game because I don't think Milrow's that dude. No, and – and, and I think that you have some some glaring issues in the passing attack just in general. I mean, like I think the wide receivers aren't creating a lot of separation for him. They, I just think Alabama has some issues. They have some yeah. pretty serious issues. They've had those issues uh, e even the past couple of years. I know they played in a national title game two years ago. But, look, this was also a team that that struggled against Auburn. They struggled constantly that season. They, they lost to Texas A&M. Uh, in that year that they went to the national title game and they consistently struggled in, in football games. We've seen this start to, to really manifest itself at Alabama here for the past couple of years. They just don't feel like that team that was winning consistently 13, 14, 15 games a season doing so with relative ease. And I think we have some, some problems over there in Tuscaloosa, but we're going to find out a lot next week because Tennessee's coming into town and I'm very interested to see what they do there. But Abe, I want to move into something I like to call a lightning round. And I know we have so many things that we like to talk about. We like to go game by game, but I'm going to try and take this one pretty quickly. So we're going to start off with what UGA did. So the defending national champions, they've started slow consistently this season and they do it again against a team that really they had no business being on the same football field with all respect due to Vanderbilt. They had no business being on the football field with Georgia. Dejan Edwards has a career day. He looks very good. I would assume in a day that he goes for 146 yards that Georgia kind of wins this game comfortably. And, and I guess they do. They win the game by 17, but they started slow again. They like you have the, the touch you give up the touchdown on a 49 yard passing play, which just feels weird to even say it was a broken play. Sure. A miss up mishap in coverage. Can't let that happen. You're way too good of a football team to let that kind of thing happen. And then you fumble on offense and you give them the ball right back. You get 27 straight points after that, and you put them to bed, but then you let them back into the game later. This just, I mean, this just wasn't a game that really felt like Georgia was in it. It looks like they were kind of sleepwalking a little bit, like they have throughout the entirety of this season. And then you add, on top of that, Brock Bowers gets hurt. They're moving into a bye week. I think the bye week's coming at a great time. This team needs to figure something out because early games, something's just not clicking. 
Yeah, I'm not as frustrated with how they started. Obviously, you don't want the turnovers. You don't want the big pass play going for a touchdown. But they got the game where they needed it to. What I'm frustrated by is they let a team that they're clearly dominating back into this game. And you just don't see eventual champions do that. You saw, and I know we'll get to it, you saw other top teams handle their business. And it just felt like Georgia was headed that way, right? Like you mentioned, you're 24-7. Uh, into halftime, you get a field goal, you're up 20 points there in through the third quarter, and then then you slowly let Vanderbilt back into it in the fourth quarter. You allow two fourth quarter touchdowns. At one point, that game was at 10 points, and and so it, it just felt odd to see this Georgia team letting a team back in, and again, it was most frustrating for me because what we saw a week ago yeah. against Kentucky was the Georgia team that we say can win a title. And now I look, and, and you're letting a team that's one of the worst in the SEC back into a ball game, and, and it's just I want to see the consistent dominance that champions have. Uh, I, I mean, there there just haven't been champions recently that just kind of nilly nally their way through a season, and Georgia's kind of doing that. It's a little concerning, but as you mentioned, even more concerning is the Brock Bowers injury. They called in an ankle. We don't have a ton of information on it yet. They do have the bye week. Um, but but that's Florida on the other side who got a good win uh, over the weekend against Very South Carolina. And uh, you're going to have to bring it. I, 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 I mean, look, I still think Georgia's going to handle business against the Gators, but you're going to have to bring it. And you can't have these momentary lapses that last for a half or a quarter. You can't have sloppy turnovers, stuff like that. At some point, they are they haven't yet. At some point, they are ultimately going to be punished if they can't bring the effort they showed against the Kentucky Wildcats on a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah, and and one thing from Carson Beck in particular in this game, I, I talked specifically about his QB rating continuing to climb week by week. Well, it just plummeted 69.9 in this game. But it doesn't really matter because Georgia wins their school record 24th straight game, fourth longest streak in SEC history. They have a chance to set an SEC record later on this season if they complete the season undefeated, which... Remains to be seen. We still got a lot of football left to be played. But I want to move up north because Michigan beat Indiana in a game that was just humiliating. Like 52 to 7 was your final score. JJ McCarthy, Blake Corum, these two look just like a freakish backfield. Uh, you could probably make an argument they're the best backfield in the country, uh, quarterback and running back, I should say. And the defense has been equally imp- as impressive. They haven't allowed a single multi touchdown game all season. In fact, the Wolverines are the first team in e- the AP poll era. Going back to 1936, Abe, to score 30 points or more and allow 10 or fewer points in each of its first seven games of a season. Yes, they've only played Eastern Carolina and Bowling Green, UNLV, and maybe the the cellar dwellers like Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, and the Big Ten. Yes, that's still an incredibly impressive feat. This Michigan team is really damn good, and I am so excited for these teams to play each other in the Big Ten at the top. Look, I'm not going to focus too much on on Michigan, but I will say this. They started very slow in this game. They were down 7-0. It should have been 14-0 if we're being honest. Indiana had a guy wide open in the end zone. A ball does get tipped at the line. It gets intercepted uh, inside the 10. But but the difference here versus what we just saw about Georgia, Michigan starts slow. It's only 7-0. could have been 14-0, but then they turn it on both sides of the ball, shut down defense, 
ring them up on offense, and mm-hmm. you end up with a, a darn near 45-point uh, victory. This is what we want our champions to look like. And that doesn't mean Michigan's better than Georgia or would beat them if they played. But this is what I'm looking for out of these champions. Michigan, who stumbled early in this game, you know, didn't feel like they were in trouble, obviously, anything like that. Um, but they responded like a champion. And, and so you got to tip your cap to them. I, I will say that this is what I want to see. I want to see dominance. That's why we're also frustrated with Georgia. Uh, but Michigan did provide that Saturday. Yeah, I, I I think a lot of people would have Michigan move up to number one in the polls. I think a lot of people changed their votes to have Michigan move up to number one in the polls. But uh, Georgia is still your number one team in the country. Michigan still your number two team in the country. Ohio State is your third-rated team in the country, and they go off and beat Purdue 41-7. to They looked pretty good in this game, especially considering when you bring in the fact that Emeka Buka didn't play in this game. Trevion Henderson didn't play in this game. Mayan Williams didn't play in this game. And then the backup running back, back the third string, got hurt in the first half. Yet they still pour on 41 points on Purdue. Yes, it's a hapless Purdue, but this is also a, t- a place that Ohio State's been a house of horrors for these guys uh, going back a pa- the past couple of years. And Marvin Harrison Jr., I think, is the biggest reason why. He is starting to figure it out on offense. And we, we came into the season, it was between him and Brock Bowers, between who was the best player, pure football player in the country. He just tied Chris Olave, you know, a pretty good NFL wide receiver now for the New Orleans Saints with 11 career games of 100 receiving yards. He's second in Buckeye history. It's his fourth game this season with 100 yards. This Ohio State team seems to be figuring some things out. Yeah, they they, they still feel sluggish on offense. It's too much of turning it on late uh, a, a little bit. Um, but this was much better, as you mentioned. This is finally, you know, when you look at um, Kyle McCord, it's just just find 18. I, I mean, I, it's not that hard. Just whether a Buka's in there or not, like, I mean, if you could find a Buka too, that's great. But, like, just find 18, get him the ball. A couple plays where it felt like McCord was under duress, throw it up, and, you know, you get a pass interference, you get a defensive holding or or – so just Harrison straight up comes down with the touchdown and that will work too. <laughs> He's good. Uh, Cade Stover is an underrated tight end. I know we talk about Brock Bowers, but Cade Stover is an outstanding receiving threat uh, over the middle for, for the Buckeyes. And it, it does feel like they're figuring it out and, and not a moment too soon because of what they've got uh, in front of them in a week's time. And we'll, we'll discuss more on that game during college football game time, 8 AMs on Saturday, 92, nine, the game in the Odyssey app. But um, it's about time that they showed up and dropped the 40 bomb that you believe in. That's what we saw. They, they beat a team they're supposed to beat. A- again, similar to Michigan, didn't see it from Georgia. Take out the squads that you are much better than. The Big Ten team certainly did that this weekend. Yeah, and another team that did it was Penn State. Uh, 63 to nothing. Well, we're not going hey, to yeah. talk a lot about not this game. This is your upcoming <laughs> opponent if you're Ohio State. Yeah. They've won every single game this season by 17 points or more. And that win against Iowa, I know that you said specifically when we were going to go into that game that you weren't going to learn anything about that team. Well, that win is looking a little bit more impressive by the week. They beat the the breaks off of that Iowa Hawkeye team and yeah. has now drifted its way into the top 25. And yes, I said drifted because that offense is just about as anemic as any anemic thing has ever just been. Lost, baby. Keep it going. Yeah. Just one loss for that squad. Oh, my the, God. The it's Tennessee gross. of the Big Ten right there. Uh, it, it's a gross team, but you know what? Just win, baby. Al Davis yeah. will be proud. Drew Aller didn't need to throw it deep in this game. 
Um, offense combined for 206 yards rushing. Um, I'm just getting these digs up, in Why you got to bring up the deep ball, man? Like, <laughs> ball, man. I'm getting these ball. in there all as much as I possibly can, you know. Uh, but Florida State, let's move on to these guys because the Seminoles. I mean, because I know you mentioned it, Penn State and Ohio State. The matchup next week, it's our college football game time, game of the week. And we are going to be very excited about that one. It's going to be a great contest between those two teams. And uh, I'm very excited. I'm very, very excited because this is the second big game for Ohio State. First real big test for Penn State this season. Florida State has had a couple of those tests, and they've looked really good. They looked really, really good on Saturday, too. I know that we – I don't know. I don't think we put them on upset alert on Saturday, but we did say it, that it was like if, if there was a team at noon who was going to have a, a harder contest than we expected, it was probably going to be Florida State against a pretty good Syracuse team, a team that had started pretty strong and then ran up against the better teams in the ACC. And FSU, I know we talked about it earlier when we discussed at UNC, FSU might be the best team in the ACC. They're right there along UNC, if not better. They're 6-0 for the first time since 2015. No Johnny Wilson in this game, but Keon Coleman continues to be a freak of nature. The dude is just massive, and he plays best in his biggest games, 140 yards and a touchdown. Also returned a punt for a touchdown. 41 to three is your final score here. Yeah, I think this was an important performance for FSU to kind of remind people what they've done and accomplished this season. You know, they had that weird game against Boston College. Uh, they won the game against Clemson. You look at that defensive sack, forced fumble, recovered touchdown. That 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 is the difference in that game. It felt yeah. closer than it should have been. <laughs> From a team that you look back now, Clemson doesn't feel like they're on that level, but it, it took everything Florida State had. Even the Virginia Tech win a week ago wasn't that impressive. I wanted an impressive performance from the Seminoles, and I got that. And look, I am very well aware that transitive property in college football doesn't exist. is nonsense. But a week after Syracuse gets railroaded by North Carolina, 40-7, to seven, and now you see Florida State put on a very similar performance that helps me believe a little bit in their ability and what they can do. It's a good reminder um, that this is one of the best teams in the country and they could be headed towards the college football playoffs. Look, I didn't learn uh, a ton about Florida State, but it was good to see them have a performance. What do I go back to? Michigan does it. Penn State does it. Ohio State does it. I got to see more of that from Georgia because all the other big boys, all these other top five, top six teams, when facing lesser opponents, bury them. That's what Florida State did. That's what the other teams we discussed did. That's what I need to see more of from Georgia before I completely buy in that they're the best team in the country. But very impressive from Ohio State. And I thought this was a, a good showing from them. Uh, maybe regain a little swagger, a little confidence. It felt like they had lost that a little bit. Uh, since the the opening week win, um, yeah. there was a little bit of doubt coming off of the Boston College and Clemson games as to just how good they were. This was a another uh, of uh, in a group of complete performances this past weekend uh, of a top five team. Yeah, they looked really good. They looked really good, and uh, I think in a week that um, I think people, specifically me. We're starting to doubt him a little bit. Yeah, me too. No, Clemson I'm with was, you, man. Clemson was faltering down the stretch, and that that win. I mean. It's it's a big emotional win to beat Clemson at Clemson, a place that had been a, a very difficult place for Florida State to play. Um, and then you see the way LSU's played down the stretch, which has just been kind of hot and cold, you know? And and then you come out and you look bad against Virginia Tech. You look bad against Boston College. 
they needed to get right game, you know, a game where they kind of get right and make the and remind the rest of the country what they who they are. And I wanted to be impressed, and I was. Yeah, they that, impressed that's me a lot. Yeah, they did, and they did it in all phases of the game. They did it on offense, they did it on defense, and they did it on special teams. And yep. I, I think we are really just counting down the days to the ACC title game because there are a lot of good teams, but I think they're two great teams, and those two great teams don't play each other until hopefully the ACC title game. And maybe someone jumps on one of them at some point this season. Crazier things have happened in college football. It would not be surprising at all if someone, something does. Um, I just don't know who that team is going to be down the stretch. But we got a little ways to go before that. But, Abe, I do want to ask you specifically where you stand as far as the college football playoff is concerned. Because whether you know it or not, next week is going to be our first college football playoff ranking. The one that actually matters, not just the one that you and I are going to sit here and bicker about for the next 10 minutes or so. Um, everyone's got their top fours. Uh, I want to see who you're, you're next two out because we still have a lot of football left to be played. A lot of teams haven't really fully impressed me yet. Some have really impressed me. Um, and I'm just going to go first here real quick. So I'm going to say my, my top four, and then I'm going to give you my next two out. I'm going to say my number one is Georgia, just because I still think that they're the best team in the country. Uh, they've shown it. I, they showed it last week against Kentucky. I think they showed it for a little bit. They were kind of sleepwalking in this game, but we've seen what they look like when the best, when a, a top rank or a, a ranked opponent, I should say, comes to play them. They step up in those big moments and they are who they are. They're still the most talented team in the country. And I think they're the best team in the country. Number two is Michigan. That's the team who's consistently been the best team in the country. One of the best teams in the country. I think they've shown up on the football field every single Saturday. And if you put them at number one, I think that's fine. I think the committee will likely put them at one. Uh, or one of the best, or right up there in that top four, uh, if not number one. I think the AP poll is, is starting to narrow a little bit, bit between those two teams. Number three, I'm going to say Washington. They really showed me something on Saturday. They were a good team, man. They did it on defense, too. They didn't just let Bo Nix and company run up and down the field like I thought they would. That offense is just special, though. Michael Penix, is, is he, he might be the front runner for the Heisman Trophy right now. I think he really is, especially the way Caleb Williams played. Looks really good. Oklahoma's my number four. I think what they did with uh, against Texas needs a lot of appreciation. They they were a really good team. They they forced Quinn Ewers into some bad spots. And look, that's a big win. That's a really, really big win. And I think they, they're going to have to do it again, though. And that's my biggest question for them down the stretch is, can they stay unscathed? And then can they beat Texas for a second time, which we've seen in college football is very difficult to do. Um, my next two out Florida state's my first one out. Um, I just think I'm, I still need a little bit more convincing down the stretch. I think, but once they beat UNC in the ACC title game, I think they're going to make their way in. If they're unbeaten, I think they're going to make it. You can say the same thing about UNC. Uh, my next team is Ohio state. That's my second team out They're My number six team. I think they showed me something on Saturday. They looked a lot better. They have that win against Notre Dame, but I also have a lot of question marks as far as the offense is concerned. Uh, I think if on a neutral field, I worry about who they could beat. So, um, that's my, that's my top six right now. That's going to change a lot between now and the end of the season. Um, because we still have Penn state, we still have Texas, we still have Oregon who's still sitting there right around the outside. Uh, so I I think this is going to be a very interesting end of the season. Yeah. Well, I, we're, we're relatively close to a number of the same teams in the discussion, but certainly in a different order. Uh, As I did a week ago, I do still have Michigan atop of Georgia. I think they are the two best teams. 
Um, honestly, if we're being realistic, I probably should rank Georgia a little bit lower just based on the quality of the wins that they do or don't have so far and, and based on what they've shown us. But I do have Georgia, too. Uh, I, I think Washington now slides into the three spot for me. It was a very impressive win. Uh, I think you can argue it was the best win of, of the season. Great win. Um, although it was at home, and you consider a couple other wins have been on neutral sites or even on the road. Obviously, the Texas win on the road uh, is kind of irrelevant at this point. But, um, you know, that that would have been in the discussion for best win uh, Ohio State over Notre Dame as well. So I got Michigan one, Georgia two, Washington three. And then right now I've got Florida State four uh, over Oklahoma. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned Oklahoma and what they showed. The more I think about that game, the less impressed I am by the Sooners and not to take away from that. They had to be where they were to win that game. Um, but I just don't see it happening again. I do not think they're better than Texas, even based uh, on the fact that they went head to head with them. Uh, I think there were mistakes that could have been avoided and it's just um, look, they have the win. And so I'm not discrediting them, but uh, right now I'll take Florida state and on the heels of a 40 point uh, spot there at Syracuse, I'll put them four. I'll have Oklahoma five uh, and then Ohio State six. And obviously um, Penn State on the outside looking in uh, certainly can jump their way in uh, based on the results of a certain noon kickoff (laughs) this coming week. So, um, yeah, maybe I'm being a little unfair to Oklahoma. Um, I I would say you are you're being a little unfair to them because at the end of the day that we we don't know if they're ever going to play each other again. So that's where I disagree with you there. Because I would say, well, it's like, who was the better team? Well, Oklahoma was a better team. They won the game, you know, and, and it's not always the better team that wins per se, but you would say that on a, if they played again, if they played in the Big 12 title mm-hmm. game, Texas would be favored. I agree. I think Texas is the better football team just in general. They weren't on that Saturday. So I think when we're putting these into votes, uh, I think you've got to wait that. you got to yeah, see that. On a neutral site, I think Oregon beats Washington. Maybe uh, so it's the same Lanning, kind of conversation. Dan right? take a field goal, but they did it. Still, still but no, but that's the thing. For... But they didn't, you know. So it's like we we have we have Washington at number three, and we and I think I guess we just disagree on number four because I think the win that Oklahoma had against Texas, which I think Texas was firmly firmly in this top four, right? They beat if they team. if they had won. No, it, uh, before that game, before before the Red River shootout. Texas was firmly in their in your top four, right? Uh, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. Okay, well, I, I think we were pretty, think we were pretty be, agreed. Here's my thing is I start to dock points down the road. I started to dock points from Texas over their win over Alabama because of how um, troubled I think Alabama is. It's no longer as impressive a win. Uh, Texas A&M, Miami, LSU, Florida State, are those all the same level of teams as I thought they were at the time? So I start to dock Dave, you down can't, the road. You can't judge but... these games in a vacuum. I mean, these games are they, they're, they well, that's are. Why, that's why I changed my was Texas as, as great a win over Alabama as we think. Probably yes, it's not. A huge win. It's it's the but, biggest but, win of the season, debatably. I would say it is the I, biggest win of the season. I, I don't think so because I think Alabama is is not as good as we thought they were. At home, they're pretty damn good. At home, they're they're virtually unbeatable. They were unbeatable for a long period of time before Texas came in and beat them. And I don't I think care. Texas, but not, nothing any Texas other year does expose matters. things. But Texas no, that, exposes but that streak things. is irrelevant. None, none of the, the we're talking about the team this year. 
If the sure. team this year, I mean, and look, maybe they do win out and maybe they do look impressive and maybe I have to change back, you know, a little sure. S curve, but uh, I don't think they're getting through the rest of the season uh, on the, uh, from this point undefeated or, or, or with just the one loss. I mean, if they end up with three losses, I mean, I'm not going to say that that win for Texas is one of the best ones of the year. So, you know, we, there's always going back and, and readjusting how I feel certain sure. games played out. For me, that's why I have issue with Oklahoma. When I rewatch that game, and I agree with you, we have to credit them for the win. There's no arguing that. Look, they're they're in my top five. I don't have them 11. I mean, I'm not being you know, <laughs> totally unfair here. But when yeah. I do go back and, and I try and gauge, you know, where a team lines up, were they the I, – yes, the win matters. But were they the best team on the field that day also matters if I'm gauging and comparing them with Florida State via eye test. Sure. But but if we're comparing that, then if, if we want to compare the strength of opponents, LSU versus Alabama, what do we say there? I mean, I don't that, know that, it kind of opens up – a it opens up a Pandora's box of, of sorts, but it's like, it's, we're still early in the season. We still need a lot of these things to come out. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, like a lot of these questions, we, we said this on Saturday, a lot of these questions that we still have, whether it is wherever it stands in the college football playoff, they're all going to answer themselves. You know, at yeah. the end of the day, they're no more than five or six. If Oklahoma that, runs the rest of the way, and no matter who it is in the big 12 title game, yeah. they're going to be in same thing for Florida state. So, yeah. The, the current rankings won't matter. I, I mean, I guess it could. Theoretically, you could have five undefeateds, but, uh, you know, that we're, we're a long theory, ways away from that. We're a long ways away from that. That would be the perfect perfect level of chaos for the final year of the four-team format of the college football playoff. But, Abe, real quick, real quick, I do want to ask you this. Who who let you down the most last week or impressed you the most? Just real quick. Let's say real quick. Do you want to take Louisville? Because I can go elsewhere. Because I feel Louisville. Louisville broke my heart, man. I, uh, I picked I them in my. I picked them in my upset special. Um, I said that they were going to lose the game to Pitt. I didn't think they were going to lose quite as badly as they did. Uh, they got thrashed. They got thrashed. And no, not I'm not talking about Jamari Thrash, the guy who actually ended up having a pretty good game at 120 yards. But no, Jamar Jordan was taken out of this game completely, and then he ended up getting hurt. Um, leads with a hamstring injury eventually, but it's not like he was making any impact in general. Uh, Jack Plummer throws for two interceptions. The Cardinals now have lost three consecutive games as a top 15 team against unranked opponents. I know that you like to talk about like the past seasons don't matter. I think that's a fun stat. As soon as Louisville starts to find some success, that's when they fall on their face. And um, I guess the Jeff Brom, the new head coach is, is not immune from that, but they disappointed me a little bit. I know I picked this game correctly. Pitt was just all over the field, just dominating them on defense, and, and that's just how they did it in this game. But Louisville, they looked very bad. They looked hapless in this contest, and uh, I was very disappointed with, with what I saw from them. Yeah, I, I want to shout out four teams that impressed me, and one of them does tie into a team that let me down. So we'll start there. Uh, the team that let me down is Washington State uh, at, at home. Uh, getting obliterated by Arizona. Oh, and and so I, I'll now swing that to the teams that impressed me, uh, four of them, including this Arizona team. And Arizona wins 44-6 to at the Palouse, a notoriously tough place to play. That comes off the heels of that tough, tough loss against uh, USC uh, and losing by just a touchdown to that Washington team. This is an Arizona team that, uh, you know, what are they, three and four, four and three, uh, five and three, whatever it is. Um, 
they're better, I think, than their record suggests. And, and we talked about some of those other teams in the Pac-12. They may play a role as well. Just real quick, three other teams that impress me. Missouri goes on the road to Kentucky and uh, handles business 38-21. Uh, I, I was really shocked by the outcome of that game. Also in the SEC, LSU, 48. Not overly shocking. We know what they can do on offense. But Auburn, just 18. Is that? Do we have semblance of an LSU heartbeat on defense? Look, a lot of that is due to uh, I know, I know. A lot of that is due to the limitations <laughs> of Auburn. Sure, yeah. I understand that. But I still had to see it. I, I honestly... I thought even Auburn would score 35 in this game. And that's how bad LSU has been. So, look, I'm not crowning them as a top 10 team on defense anytime soon. But uh, I did, it did impress me that they were able to stop someone. Uh, that That's something, I guess. Uh, and then the final one is Duke, who, who does not have Riley Leonard with an absolutely dominant performance, 24-3 to uh, against the NC State Wolfpack. Uh, quarterback was still an issue, uh, of the four passes that were completed, two of them were for touchdowns. You heard me right. He was four of 12, uh, 107 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, but, but that just goes to show you that this Duke team that we talked about earlier in that Notre Dame game. And, uh, they are more than just that quarterback. They are more than just Riley Leonard. They can play a little bit of defense. They do have some playmakers outside as well. So, um, I'll go with them as one of the four teams that did impress me because a lot of people were just counting them out without Riley Leonard. Not yeah. the case. Not the case at all. I'm a big believer in this Duke team, man. I think yeah. Duke is fun. I think Duke is going to continue to be a very interesting team down the they stretch. We do need more than four completions next week, we but we'll get there. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> Hopefully Riley Leonard is starting a quarterback for your, for the Duke Blue yeah. Eagles, especially when um, they play in the little Tobacco Road, football edition of the Tobacco Road rivalry between UNC and Duke. That's normally reserved for a basketball game. I think it's going to make for a pretty damn good football game this year, but I do want to shout out Arizona as well. I think uh, they came so close. They came so close in consecutive weeks against top 10 teams. They outgained the Cougars 516 to 234, forced three turnovers, scored 44 unanswered points in a game that I thought, really, they had no chance in this contest, but they looked very good. They would they looked downright dominant. Kentucky looked terrible. They disappointed me. Missouri, I think that's just credit to those guys. They might be the second best team in the SEC. Um, I think that's a very SEC East. Let me let me clarify. The SEC East, I think that matchup with, with Tennessee is going to be a deceptively good game. It's going to be a deceptively good game. But, Abe, we're halfway through the college football season. It's kind of hard to believe. Uh, but we are over 50% there. And I have a ton of questions. And I know that we have a lot of answers coming here in the coming weeks. We've got... Our college football game time game of the week coming up next Saturday at noon on Fox. It's criminally early, um, but you know what? We'll have a lot of fun early. Honestly, based on the noon slate we had this past week, I'm all for it. Give me something to watch at noon because it was a, it was a nap town uh, by about 115 this past week. So good time to take a nap. <laughs> I'm, I'm in for it this time. Not going to be the same same situation coming up this Saturday, but catch us there. College football game time on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game every single Saturday morning from 8 o'clock till noon. You can do it on the Odyssey app as well. So take us on the go. If you're watching from somewhere outside of Atlanta, you can just find us on the Odyssey app every single Saturday morning. But then you're going to find us, College Football Overtime, Abe Gordon and Garrett Chapman. Every single Monday morning, we get you set up for all the college football news and reactions that you could possibly want. So we are loving it. 
And I appreciate you for sitting in here. And if you don't, if you haven't subscribed to the 92.9, the, fa- the game, face, uh, excuse me, not Facebook page, YouTube page, do so now. Just drop a, drop a little like. If you, if you followed us along this whole time, we really appreciate all of the support. But for Abe Gordon, I'm Garrett Chapman. This is College Football Overtime. We're going to catch you next week.